Instead of taking a look at culture and forming an opinion or what we've been taught or what we feel is right or wrong, is we're trying to take a look at culture through the lens of what scripture says. Now you say, well, that sounds pretty obvious and I would agree with you. The problem is that we don't often do that. We often form our opinions, watch the news, read podcasts or, or listen to podcasts, read articles, form our opinions, then come to scripture and we don't agree with what scripture says. So throughout this series, we've been really trying to dig in and allow scripture to be the first thing. And then we look at culture. Then we look at what is going on in our world. We began week one several weeks ago with looking at 1 Peter, how 1 Peter encourages us to have an answer in the midst of culture, but to do that with love in front, but specifically with gentleness and respect. The second week, uh, Mark Arnett was able to bring us along in the conversation of racism, bigotry, judgment. And, and challenge us to look within. The third week, Alex Rowan uh, presented the conversation. Many of you, for the first time, others of you, you're farther down that conversation, but looking at same-sex attraction and behavior and that continuum of, of where an individual might lie and what the scriptures say to that kind of behavior, but also what our response is to those who have that lifestyle. Last week, Mark Popenhagen uh, on Super Bowl Sunday was able to bring us into the conversation of materialism, money, poverty, wealth, with and without, and what we really rely on. I need to say before we jump into this morning how unbelievably proud that I am of, of both Mark's and of Alex. They're, hold on, before you clap, because I agree. Their preparation, their diligence to detail, their heart in preparation and deliverance, their gentleness with the topic, but their adherence very closely and completely to the scriptures makes me unbelievably proud, not only of them, but for us as a church. And I'm unbelievably grateful to call you friend, but also ministry partner. So now please, would you thank them for that? If you didn't hear one of those messages, I really do encourage you, uh, grab our app, uh, go on our website, but make sure you uh, take a listen to those. If you listen on the app, you can, Mark Popenhagen told me this, and I think this is a sinful nature, but you can listen to it at 1.5 speed. Uh, so uh, all of these messages have gone a little bit long, but you can do 1.5 speed, which will get you out of it sooner. The problem is he does it for all of the messages, so I don't know what that says about Mark. This morning we're talking about abortion. What's interesting about this topic and all of these is many of you have come in and said, man, you guys as a staff really planned all of these different topics at just the right time. And I wish that I was that smart. I, I wish I could have looked at the calendar and positioned them. We didn't. 
Uh, it just so happened that Mark was preaching on racism the day before Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. It just so happened that Alex was preaching on same-sex attraction and behavior when it is one of the number one topics discussed both in and out of the church. It just so happened that Mark Popenhagen was preaching on materialism on Super Bowl Sunday. And it just so happens, if you would, that I am preaching on abortion if you've watched the news at all right now. We didn't plan this. This is a God thing. And I believe that God has something deep that he wants to do in this series, and it's going to be different for all of us. I want to encourage you as you have your Bibles open that you also take notes if you brought a notebook or a pen um, as we dive into this final topic of this series. Let's begin with this verse, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. We don't often use this version, but sometimes it, it brings a more of a poetic uh, description of the verse so that we fully understand it. I grew up in Awanas memorizing scripture out of the New King James, so it's kind of like going home. Here's what it says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born... I sanctified you. And before we jump into the details this morning, I want to say to you individually, before you were born, God knew you. I want us to go from this general, enormous topic to much more personal. Before you were born, God knew you. It gets better than that. Before he formed you into the womb, God knew you. You are special here this morning and listening online. I've never preached on the topic of abortion. I've known this day is, is coming for quite some time. We put the sermon series together way far in advance and uh, when I gave all the rest of the teaching team, I was willing to take any of the topics in any week, and they chose the topics and the weeks. Kind of wish I would have used my authority to grab week one. So I've known that this is coming. I've read, I've researched, I've prayed and meditated, I've interviewed. I've had deep conversations I've prepared, and now this morning has come. And I know without a shadow of doubt that God has given me words to share with you on this topic of abortion. To begin with, I'm sad. And I'm not just sad, I'm ashamed when I reflect on my approach to this topic of abortion for the majority of my life as a follower of Christ and as a pastor. I've barely spoken about it before. I've had individual conversations with students and adults throughout the last 30 years, but I've never preached on it. I've mostly regarded abortion as a hot political button that 
needs to be avoided from the pulpit and, and walk lightly. And I have to say to you that I have failed as a pastor to fully comprehend that abortion is a foundational biblical issue to which as a son of God and as a pastor, I have an incredible necessity to be deeply concerned and very vocal. As a pastor, Sandy and I have pleaded with several young girls to let us adopt their unborn child. Not only as a pastor, but as a police officer in both instances, both those in the church and women on the street, Sandy and I have pleaded with them only to find out that an alternative option was rendered. As a police officer, I have kept the angry crowds at bay, protecting a woman's right to walk into an office, often very alone, very afraid, very shaken, only to walk out hours and hours later to a waiting car and then drive away. I have seen and participated in the protection of life as we know it, this flesh, your flesh. I have responded to and investigated to several dozen deaths, many of which were murders. I've responded to countless suicides and have had to make that awful phone call to family. Many in our culture want to point this topic to be a political one, and I just want to say to you, it's, it's a topic of life and death. Many will say that numbers don't matter that it's an individual's choice, that it's up to the individual. And I can tell you, they are wrong. I have seen it. I have felt it. I have smelled it. I have heard it and I have investigated it. This idea of life and death. Numbers matter. I want to do a little bit of an exercise. Hopefully, it brings this point home. Numbers do matter. If I were to tell you, you have one second to do something, how long would you have to do it? One second. Nice. See, you guys are brilliant. You're, you're doing well already. One second is roughly equal to one second. It's, it's amazing. Now, some of you, this is where the math gets harder. You were with me at that one, and now you're going to struggle. If I were to give you 1,000 seconds to do something, that would be roughly equivalent to 17 minutes. Do you see the jump? Numbers matter. Now, if I were to take that number and jump it up to 1 million seconds, you would have roughly 12 days to accomplish something. Numbers matter. 
But if I were to go from one second to a thousand seconds to a million seconds and bump that up to a billion seconds, it would be roughly equivalent to 31.7 years. Numbers and quantity matter. It has to matter. It absolutely matters. One of, one of the great ways that you can see that it matters is because if you watch the news and you see that someone was shot and killed over the weekend, you really don't bat an eye. We like to think as Christians we do, but we really don't. It happens too often. But if someone walks in dressed in tactical gear and armed to the tooth and murders dozens and dozens and dozens of people, our entire nation stops. Why? Because numbers matter. It changes the conversation. It has to. In the U.S. since 1973, but certainly before, abortions have been carried out in response to man's law. Since that time... Over 61 million babies have been killed in the United States that we know of. Since experts started tracking known worldwide abortions in 1980, we now know that that number is over 1.5 billion babies terminated worldwide that we know of. Now, I have to say to you, in studying, I find it difficult to look into the face of my four children, two of which their loving birth mother chose not to abort them, which was a feasible option, but instead allowed Sandy and I to adopt them and to be their birth parent or to be their parents. But I also find it difficult to see how I have remained virtually silent on this gruesome reality for so many years. And I want to say to you, and for those of you who are listening in line, I can't go back. And I don't know what that means, Sandy and I have had several conversations. I don't know what that means, but I can't go back to just being quiet about abortion anymore. Because it's not politics. As roughly 42 million babies are dismembered and destroyed every single year. This is clearly a gospel issue to which we are called to return to the spiritual and scriptural blueprints and to live counter to culture. We have to. With that said, with all of those numbers, estimates show approximately one in three American women have had or will have had an abortion at some point in their life. Some of you here, or some of you listening online, might fit that category. That you too have had an abortion. Or at least assisted someone in getting an abortion. So I want to be clear. I most assuredly want to be clear on how our holy God views abortion 
but I equally want to be clear on how that same loving God views you if you fall into that category in love and mercy. Because it's both. And much like all the previous weeks, culture wants to say you are in one of two camps. And we're swimming upstream against that. So let's start with this. It's been a running theme throughout this series. Racism, same-sex attraction, material poverty, and others. And that is this. Life is precious and is always to be protected. Not sometimes, not when it feels right, not when it looks right, not when it uh, is convenient, but life is always to be protected. And often, and I want to be clear on this, in protecting life, we give up our rights. We set them aside. We set aside our comfort, our self-will. But we must remember that as, as followers of Christ, our call is to lay our lives down for another. Or if we look at Philippians chapter 2, we are supposed to look out for the interest of others before ourselves. All of Scripture, and, and we've done this from Mark's sermon up until today, we have said, it is not about you. And this is no different and sadly, abortion is completely contrary to the commands found in the scriptures to protect life, to care for those who don't have a voice, who are weak, and cannot defend themselves. Now let's make sure we address the elephant in the living room. The scriptures don't say the word abortion. You cannot look throughout the scriptures and find where it says, thou shalt not, King James Version, thou shalt not ever have an abortion. It doesn't exist. Nowhere in the pages is even the word abortion found. But as we understand who God is and who we are as his creation and what Jesus has done for us, we see that God most definitely has spoken into this topic. We begin, if you have your Bibles, with Psalm 139. I'll read it. Most of these will be on the screen as well. The psalmist describes this relationship that God has with an unborn child. Verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in this secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. These words and many others point us back to a proper theology and doctrine of creation and life. It started at his hands. 
It's always been at his hands. Oceans, birds, animals, mountains, flowers, man, woman, all created at the hands of God. It's his doing. It's always been his doing, and it will always be his doing. God. But sin, sin has destroyed this. And as sin destroys this, we continue to drift farther and farther and farther from the truth. And friends, that is the culture we have now. Joni Erickson Tata spoke about this idea of, of abortion and laws. She says this, gradually, though no one remembers exactly how it happened, the unthinkable becomes tolerable and then acceptable and then legal and then applaudable. That's what we've become applauding murder. Alex's sermon a couple weeks ago, he referenced Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He described this idea that sin, when sin finally takes root, that it begins to distort and numb us to what is right and what is wrong and convinces us that we can be the one to decide what is right. In fact, sin can convince us that we actually have the right to decide what is right for us. And it's nothing short of demonic and of the devil. We read these words and we're reminded that God and God alone is the giver and the sustainer of life. Conversely, abortion, much like murder and suicide, declares that human beings are the one who have that power, not God. Psalm 139 is pretty miraculous if you think about it. Anybody know who wrote it? David. It's always a good guess, right? Uh, much like if, if you go into the New Testament, Jesus just throw out the name Jesus and you've got a pretty good shot at it. If you're asking about the Psalms, David's a pretty good guess. David had no idea how a sperm and an egg come together to create life. That had not yet been discovered. All they knew was the action created something, but not how. And how a few days later, a woman begins to feel some strange feelings inside. As something begins to draw from her with a beating heart and circulate its own blood. And a short few weeks later, that same being forms fingers and hands and brain waves are identified. A little later, the sexually, sexual identity is clear. Not non-binary or genderless. Male or female. 
with all the organs formed and operational and the fingerprints are secured of which will form the basis of how we identify each human being someday out of the womb. A heart, brain, lungs, fingers, movements, sucking of a thumb and rubbing of the eyes, kicking in the sack. Some of you remember that. All of this present in every child in the womb. And the God of all creation is orchestrating every single step along the way in 16 short weeks. But it all started day one. Modern scientists can now see life formed at six weeks. And those same experts will say it's just a matter of time that we have the technology to see life at conception. We just don't have the technology yet. It's like when a lot of us were kids and we thought Pluto was like the farthest we could go in this world. And then they developed technology and now we can see millions of light years away and see other planets and we can go far, far away to galaxies unknown. Why? Because we have technology now to see that far. It's the same way with life. The key question we must answer as Christ followers is what is contained in the womb? Is it a blob? Is it a mass? Is it a person, a a, a mere embryo, or a fetus? This question is so unbelievably critical because every discussion will ultimately come back to this. And the reason why this question is critical is because if that creation, if that mass or that blob is a person, then all pro-choice and all pro-abortion reasons fall short. Not under man and mankind's reasonings, but undoubtedly under God's. The scriptures are clear that the womb creates and contains a human being created in the image of God. It's what scholars refer to as the Imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. If you have that, you can turn to that. Verse 26 says this, And then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the uh, creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is the image of God. Nothing else has that unique experience that you and I have. It's that special relationship that we have with God, not sitting in a nice church in a comfy purple chair, but in the womb, we have that unique special relationship with God. And it must be protected. 
And this protection of human life has always been a hallmark of Christ followers. It's nothing new. It's, it's not a 2019 issue. Now, I want to give a warning. I'm going to show an image on screen that might be really difficult for some of you to see. So I want to give this warning now. I'll tell you when we're putting it on, and I'll tell you when it's taken off. Because you may not want to see it, but I do want to encourage you to at least glance at this image. Because somehow we must move this conversation from something about Democrats and Republicans and Supreme Court to Christ followers who protect life. So with that said, the picture is going to come so you can either choose or not. From the earliest of time, infanticide, the intentional killing of infants has existed. Go ahead and show that. In ancient times, Families did not always keep their newborns. After a woman had a baby, she would hold that baby up and show it to her husband or the baby's father. Babies would then either be accepted or refused, and if it was refused, it would die. Babies were often refused because they were illegitimate, not their choice unhealthy, deformed, the wrong sex, or yes, even in ancient times, too much of a burden on a family. These babies would not be killed. These babies would be taken and placed into a clay pot or jar or can along with all of the other trash and then set outside their front door or on a roadway or outside the city gates. And then the adult would walk back home and shut the door. These babies would naturally die of hypothermia, hunger, dehydration, or most notably animal attacks. This is not a 2019 issue. This is a theological issue. This would happen, but as Christ followers, they always believed in the Imago Dei. You can take that picture off, and you guys that looked away, you can look back. If you're listening online, the picture was a picture of a newborn placed in a pile of trash along with vegetables and other trash, presumably left to die. Christ followers thought more highly of life, though. They believed strongly in the Imago Dei, creation in the image of God. So they would gather these babies, take them home, and care for them, and eventually orphanages were started because these babies had to go somewhere. But these Christians, these Christ followers, were not single-issue Christians. 
Do you understand what I mean by that? They didn't just grab one issue and camp out on that, and then that's what drove everything. They allowed this imago Dei, this theological understanding of the creation of the image of God, and they realized it had far-reaching implications, so much more so than just babies. They cared for the poor. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, they cared for women many of which were the ones who gave these babies up. They cared for the elderly. They took in widows. They took in those without a place to lay their head. They were champions of those without a voice. The weak, the outcast, the deformed. And they lived against their cultural norm of abortion, if you would, in those times in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Imago Dei. And friends, this is who we are as Christians. If you are a Christ follower, you protect and fight for life. And it begins with our foundation. We all have a sphere of protected life. Every single one of us, you have it right now. You're like, wow, I didn't even know I have a sphere. Well, you do. We all have a sphere of protected life. And in that sphere, people are either included or excluded in that protected life. And as our view of the Imago Dei, as our view of being created in the image of God grows, more people are included into that circle and sphere of protected life. And it expands. See this. Same sex. The young. The elderly. The poor. The legal or illegal the unborn child, the immigrant. You see, as our sphere, as that circle gets bigger and we go, wow, anybody created is created in the image of God. As that sphere gets bigger, more people are included in that. And thus they are protected. And if you don't have this huge vision of the Imago Dei, then your circle of protected life will contract. Become smaller and smaller. And fewer and fewer will be in your sphere of protected life. They're on the outside. Looking in. And this is what has happened with aborted children and it is a blatant violation of the Imago Dei. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul describes himself of being set apart by God in the womb. In Isaiah 49.1, go ahead and turn to that. This is what Isaiah says. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. I'll read it again. Isaiah 49, 1. Before I was born, the Lord called me. 
from my birth he has made mention of my name. We read that before Isaiah was even born, the Lord was calling his name. There's a Hebrew word born, be'etin, and it's this idea of in the womb, not born as in go to the hospital and, and have a baby, but in the womb. These passages and others remind us that while the unborn baby is hidden, he or she is not hidden from God and is, in fact, very close to his heart. God sees his unborn child, and he is the one forming and nurturing and shaping and providing for that baby. Job tells us in Job 31.15 that God himself made the babies. And I'll be honest with you. Most, mostly as a cop, but at times as a pastor, I have looked at God and went, why are you allowing them to have a baby and not that beautiful couple to have a baby? Why is that deadbeat gangster drug dealer birthing out babies left and right, but that godly couple who's surrendering to you can't get pregnant, and I don't have an answer for you. All I have is a struggle. But the Bible makes it clear that God himself is the one who makes these babies. Job 10, chapter 8, reminds us that God is the one who shapes and makes. And because of these truths, we know some other now fundamental truths. Abortion is an insult to God's authority as creator. It destroys the special relationship that God has with the unborn and is largely an acceptable form of gross genocide. A sobering website that you can look on if you'd like to Google this uh, is just go abortion cock on Google. The very first website will put up a counter that keeps track of both the United States and worldwide abortions. I've had it up for the past month on my computer. It's awful. But it's so good to reinforce God's truths and why we cannot be silent. I know this is hard. And I know this is heavy. It should be. And it will continue to be. And at the same time that I speak these words, Faces of women in my life who have had abortions flood my mind. And I've been wrecked. I've thought to myself, and even for us this morning, what can be said to them? What can and should be repeatedly said to them is there is peace to be found in such tragedy and pain. And not, not only for eternity on what's to come, but today, 
there is peace. Author David Platt says this, the pain of past sin is often a powerful deterrent for future sin. But don't let it rob you of the peace that God has designed for you in the present. I want us to turn our attention, our love, and absolutely our pain but also our truth to those who have had abortions. Supported a loved one in having an abortion. Fathers and mothers who argued and pushed hard to have an abortion. Friends who suggested to have an abortion. Those who have paid for the abortion. Grandparents who drove a loved one to an abortion. Those medical personnel who performed the abortions. Pastors and counselors who have counseled women to have abortions. Pastors like me who have largely stood quiet from the pulpit and not spoken on abortion. And yes, even politicians who legislate to make abortions possible. For you, for me, I remind you of the greatest news ever known to mankind. There's grace. There's hope. There is love. My friends, there is grace and it is abundant. God forgives completely, even if we don't forgive ourselves. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Again, who probably wrote this song? Yeah, good. You guys are brilliant. Listen to what Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12 say. Actually, I'm going to call an audible here. We don't have this, but let me just read verse 8 as well. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. If you were someone who has any ties to an abortion, had one, assisted in one, paid for one, drove for one, did one, can I just please receive this? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Fear. This word in this psalm, fear, in this passage, describes the, ones who, the one who stands in awe and in reverence before God. And then this is the result of what happens. 
The good news is that when we turn to Christ and away from our sins, we find that Jesus has, has paid the price for every one of our sins. We find that at the foot of the cross. And we find that no sin is too much of a burden for him to put on his shoulders and, and stay on that cross. And we find that at the cross, we're completely forgiven. But wait, it gets better. Not only does he forgive, but he heals. He heals the heart. He heals the body. He heals the memories. He heals the thoughts. He heals. Remember in Luke 7, what Jesus said to the woman who had lived an immoral lifestyle, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And sometimes we can think, oh, peace, that means like no more stress, calmness, quietness, kids always obeying, peace. That's the perfect peace. Peace is healing. That's why Jesus is, is, is deemed the Prince of Peace. It's why when we turn our lives over to Christ, it doesn't mean everything is just going to be hunky-dory. That life's just going to be perfect from here on out. The Prince of Peace is in peace as we know it. It's the healing of what we can't heal on ourselves. Of wholeness. <laughs> of making right. So to all those who trust in Christ, remember this, there is now no condemnation for those who place their hope in Jesus Christ because he restores. God is the one who redeems. God is the one who makes right. And as Christ followers, that is the message we should be shouting from the rooftops in our culture. Not staying silent about it or hiding behind a computer screen or one-on-one -on -one coffees. We should be shouting hope and forgiveness and peace to anyone Because they need to hear it. And although nothing can diminish that, nothing can water down that truth, nothing can water down His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His being all in for you, there is a but. We must ask for it. Alex had a seminary professor who told him something once, and Alex has since passed it on to me, and I want to share it with you. Dr. Jerry Sitzer says this, the danger of continual sin is not that God would cease to forgive us, but that we would cease to ask for it. As a Christian culture, We have stopped asking in large part for God's forgiveness of abortion. We need forgiveness. 
for having, tolerating, applauding, supporting, arguing for, driving to, or having abortions as a right. Abortion is not our right to be had. And I know if you're a woman, the last thing you want is for a man telling you what your right is and what it isn't. What I want to say to you is it's not your right. That right belongs to Yahweh. Our right as followers of Christ, our task, our objective as Christ's followers is to care. Care for those who are unborn. Care for the women who have that decision, whether they participate in it or choose not to, is to care. You see, early Christians went out of their way to find those babies, to hold on to them, to give hope and provision and care. So where's the church? Your call is not to boycott. Your, your call is not to stand on a street corner ac across from an abortion clinic with a hatred sign. Your call is not to throw rocks and eggs at them and shout venomous things at them that they are going to hell. I have watched hundreds of Christians do that as a police officer and had to sit there and keep my mouth shut when all I wanted to do was pull those Christians aside and go, what are you doing? The church's call is to love, to listen, to build relationships and to give hope and to rescue What's the best way as a Christ follower to do that for the unborn? I don't know. But I've started having that conversation. I'd love to have that conversation with you. <laughs> I'd love for us to have that conversation as a church. What does it mean for us as a church to defend in a way that honors Christ and reflects him? I know for me, it started this last week having a conversation with my twins. They couldn't sleep, so they interrupted my time with Sandy. Which I don't like. That's my time. And I don't know how it happened. I don't even know how the conversation came up. Oh, I know how it came up. One of the things I always tell the boys is I'm so glad you're my sons. And I'm trying to get them to say, I'm glad you're my dad. <laughs> it's not brainwashing, it's training. <laughs> Often what they'll say is, I know. They do the same thing when I go up, oh, man, I love you so much. I know. <laughs> Somehow I just don't feel like 
loved back. It's like if you're dating someone and you go, man, I love you. And they're like, I know. You're so lucky, you know? Like, so I'm, I'm really trying to get them to say, I'm glad you're my dad. And they'll do it every blue moon, but mostly kind of out of the side of their mouth in a whisper. And so they came down and I'm like, you're interrupting my time with mom. But I'm so glad you're my son. And Seth goes, I know. And I said, hey man, do you know why I say that to you? And I say, your birth mother and your birth father could have aborted you. <laughs> and Seth's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, crap, now I've like kicked open the can. <laughs> and I shouldn't have said crap, so sorry. <laughs> and so I, ex I began to explain abortion to them. And at the end, looked both of them in the eye and go, but your, your birth mother didn't choose that. She let us adopt you. She gave you life and she lets your mom and I be your parents even though you're interrupting our time. <laughs> and Seth looks at me, actually Luke looks at me and goes, okay, don't wake me up till the morning. <laughs> Again, that's kind of the depth of an 11 year old conversation. But then Seth looks at me and goes, why would anybody ever do that? And all I had was tears for him. I didn't have an answer. Friends, we can't be quiet on this. And I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that answer is. At the same time, I'm not so naive to think every single one of you in this room or listening online agree with me or are okay with what the scriptures say. I hope that's okay that we can not agree. And my hope is that we can have a conversation. That's why life groups are so critical that you would have that conversation. But I wanna make myself 100% available for you. If you wanna have that conversation, if emotions were stirred in you because you've played a part in, in a story, But numbers matter. And we can't turn a blind eye to this. This must be one of the causes that the church picks up the flag and runs towards the enemy. And my prayer for us as a nation is that God would show us mercy. We're just going to stay quiet for a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and just close your eyes and just escape with yourself.
we've hit some pretty heavy topics here the past few weeks. And we need to sit on it for a minute. The love of God is beyond our wildest imagination. But we've got some thinking to do.